There are good things that God has blessed us with. We're blessed every single day. Every good and perfect gift comes from God, and we've been blessed as a church. I just want to enumerate some of these with you that you may not, may not always be aware of. Don and Lois Smith celebrated 66 years of marriage this week. That's a good thing, isn't it? That's a great witness among us for faithfulness. Uh, I was able to receive a call this week from Johnny Sykes. You may not, he's not, a, they're not members here yet. I don't guess they've made that aware to us, but they're kind of from Walnut Ridge area. And uh, uh, her name, the wife's name is Danielle. She is the daughter of, uh, how do I say this subtly, uh, the, the man and the woman who were Mr. and Mrs. Claus for Christmas uh, here for our uh, Santa thing. But anyway, they, they live near us, and, and, and Danielle had Braylee Ann uh, already, and then they met, her and Johnny met and got married, and uh, they've been for a long time trying to figure out how the adoption could go through, and this last Tuesday, the adoption went through, and she is officially his daughter, which is a beautiful, wonderful thing, and they just celebrated that on Facebook and then called me and let me know, and I want you to know as a church, that's a good thing to happen at Valley View. Dre, where's Dre at? Would you raise your hand? Lindsay back there. Young man, you know, shouldn't have back problems. He had to have some pretty delicate back uh, surgery not long ago. He's with us sitting all the way through the service without pain today because that surgery went so well and we say uh, thanks to that. I, I want to say Connor and Joy Lynn, where are you over here? Would you raise? Okay. They have their new son Cole and they've been here a couple of weeks but I haven't had a chance to really, uh, you know, uh, kind of put a spotlight on them, but they brought their son the last couple of weeks uh, uh, to church with us. You haven't seen that beautiful boy. You need to go over there and see that and congratulate them. That's a good thing at Valley View. And, and today, uh, Kaylee Adkins has somebody who asked her out coming to church with her today. And, and we all kind of wondered if that would ever happen. Uh, so you get a chance, come over here and, and say something to him. Tell him the truth. Tell him the truth. Good things happening at Valley View. We're grateful. And nothing is any better if you got to be at the, the, the class this morning than what's going on through the Bear Valley Institute around the world. And, and to hear him say over and over again, this is your work and your money is going to this. And these people are being trained in different parts of the world. We are so trained to think only America. Make America great again and blah, blah, blah. And we're, only, we're, we're, we're thought constantly talk about everything about the church is only what we're experiencing in America. And we're all nervous about where it's going, all this stuff. The world is a big place and the kingdom is huge. And it's around the world and that's not the only place. And we're not only concerned with this. If, if the church starts weakening in America, but boot through our efforts, it starts strengthening in Africa and Asia and different parts of the world, we rejoice with that. And some of that we heard this morning was just tremendous. Even a couple weeks ago in Myanmar report, uh, we got a video from that. And, and I didn't comment much on that, but that is tremendously exciting as a Valley View person to know that when you put your money in that offering plate, it goes around the world and people are hearing the gospel because of it. What an amazing privilege that is. And I hope that you listen to that, not just because of it's the, what, what we had in class and it's Mission Sunday, but it's our task and it's something we take ownership with. And I'm proud of it, and I hope you are too, about some of the things being done out of that. 
So I'm going to introduce you to the speaker. It's, it's not me. You think you're rattling on. You're preaching. No, I'm not preaching. I, Chad Wagner's here. Grew up in Perigold, Arkansas. Knew him back then in the youth group at Center Hill. And then later on, he went to, to school at Harding and then uh, preached at Bradford and then at Gainesville. That's kind of where I reconnected with him. And we did some VBS stuff together at, at Gainesville and other places, if I remember right. And, and he is the nuttiest, most enthusiastic, energetic person if you've ever seen anyone lead VBS songs, well, you've never heard anyone lead them like him. And then we had him at church camp, and the kids went crazy mad over him because he is absolutely nuts, and he's enthusiastic, and he's energetic. And you're going to, if you've already seen that in class, but you're going to hear it in the sermon too, uh, because he not only believes the truth and wants to spread the truth, but he embodies that truth in this energetic, enthusiastic way. And I'm grateful that he is with Bear Valley. I'm grateful that he's with us, and you're going to get some energy out of this. For the young people, uh, there's a dollar in it for you, the first five that come up and explain to me what this means. Chad Wagner is the only one I know who's ever preached the Sermon on the Mound. Just keep that in your head. Sermon, I, I didn't say mount, that's Jesus, okay? Sermon on the Mound. And you're going to like, what does that mean? I don't know, but you're going to have to explain it to me. And I'll bring you a dollar tonight for the first five young people who can come up to me and tell me, what in the world does that mean? And one more thing, why in the world, as a greeting to Chad, would anybody rub his neck? Why would he? Has anybody done that today? So you're like, what's that weird? I know. If you can explain those things to me, those two things to me, before you walk out of church this morning, it's a dollar for you tonight. Chad Wagner is with us. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you as a people who know where our blessings come from. We are not unaware of the source of our blessing or the magnitude of it. And this morning, we've just enumerated a few things that we're grateful for as a church, but each individual here has plenty of things in their minds that they're grateful for. And we come before you and say thanks. And what a privilege it is when we become Christians that we then become ambassadors of yours, that we take you with us wherever we go, and we share you with others so that they can have the privilege and the blessing of knowing who their creator is, who their savior is, who their sustainer is, and whoever, who the giver of every good thing they have is so that they can give thanks. And this morning we're thankful that Chad Wagner's here. I pray that you bless him with this easy ability to remember what he has to say, but to deliver it with his passion, his love for the truth, his love for the lost, and his love always for presenting the truth wherever he goes. Bless his family, bless the mission of Bear Valley, and bless Chad. And this morning, bless us all as we hear a word from him. Empower him and enliven us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Wow, Spencer. <laughs> Good morning. If you have your Bible, we're going to be in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 5 this morning, the Gospel of Mark. I want to encourage you to turn over there. You're not going to see too many of the scriptures on the board. You actually have to crack open the Bible so that you can look and see what's going on. We're going to be looking at three familiar stories that you already know about. You already know about these stories, but we want to see what combines these stories together. 
You see, the Gospel of Mark is quickly becoming one of my favorite Gospels. I really enjoy the the action and all the things going on in the Gospel of Mark. In fact, you're going to see one of the key words in the Gospel of Mark here in our lesson today. But in chapter 5, we have three stories about four people. Three stories about four people. And I want you to ask in your mind, what is Mark trying to teach us about Jesus? You see, Mark did not arrange his gospel in a chronological order, as in this event happened after this event after this event. In fact, Mark arranged his stories in groups to be able to prove a point about Jesus, to teach us something about Jesus. And so as we come to Mark chapter 5 this morning, I want you to keep in mind, what is Mark trying to teach us here in this chapter? Three stories about four people. Let's turn over to chapter 5 in the verses 1. The Bible says, they, now who is they? Who is that? I'm very, now Spencer, just FYI, I really appreciate that we have nothing going on after this besides eating. I don't have to be done at a certain time, so I'm just going to be much more relaxed uh, with the time. But the question is they. Who is the they? They are Jesus and his disciples. Always define your pronouns and who you are talking about. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. Your translation may say Gadarenes. And when Jesus stepped out of the boat, immediately, aha, there's one of those key words right there, key word, immediately, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could find him anymore, not even with chains, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he broke the shackles apart into pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and bruising himself or cutting himself with stones. One time I was giving a lesson similar to this out of Mark chapter 5, and I was talking about this man who is possessed with all these demons and how he would cut himself with the stones the 16-year-old boy came up to me after the sermon. He says, Brother Chad, I really appreciated that sermon. I thought, well, well, sure, you know, it's a good sermon. But that's not what he was trying to say. He pulled up the sleeve of his arm, and there on his wrist were several cut marks where he'd been trying to cut himself. You see, this boy has been getting treatment for this cutting because he's trying to cut himself to cry out for help. This man here, this gathering demoniac, this man with many demons, he is doing what? He's cutting himself with stones. Why? Because he needs help. Now, who can help him? Well, the people of the village, of course. Let's look here in verse 3. He lived among the tombs. Now, wait a minute. That's an interesting, interesting address. He lives among the tombs, and no one could bind him with shackles or chains. No one, the Bible also says in verse 5, no one could subdue him. No one 
Who is the no one? Well, the no one is the people of the village, you know, his neighbors, his family, his co-workers, his mother and father. Uh-oh. Is he married? What about his wife? Does he have any children? Who is this man? The point is, the people that know him in the towns and the village, they know him, they know who he is, they all know about his story. They knew him from nut and acorn going all the way up, and they know that this man is a danger to himself and to other people. And they tried to bind him, they tried to subdue him, they tried to help him, but they found out, and this man found out, that no one in his area could help him. So they cast him out into the village, cast him out into the tombs. How many of us want to live in the tombs? How many of us want to live outside the city where there is no fellowship, no friends, no food, no way to be around other people? No one wants to be in the tombs, but we find that this man lives there until the day that Jesus comes. Jesus comes out of the boat, and you know this story. Jesus comes to the man, and they interact. And you know the rest of the story, how Jesus cast the demons out of that man into what? Spencer, you're coming down. Into what? Into pigs. Now, how many pigs does the Bible say? Does anyone say? How many pigs? Uh Uh-huh, right? Now, I have a guy, I have a guy in uh, Tanzania who raises pigs, and uh, he preaches, but he raises pigs, and he can sell six pigs. Six pigs will pay for his child's school tuition for the entire year. Six pigs. Now, Furby, how many pigs are we mentioning here? How many is here? How many thousands of pigs are we talking about? Wow, that's a lot more than just six pigs, and we're talking about a serious amount of money, a serious investment some people have made in swine. Now, we have some schools of preaching in Africa that raise pigs, that raise chickens, that raise fish. There's a lot of that going on uh, in Africa, and in a lot of ways, we can source funds to run those schools in Africa through vocational skills, and I think all those things are great and wonderful and very needed. Teaching a man To raise his own support in the field, I think, is fantastic. And some of the things that we're trying to do in some of those schools of preaching through Bear Valley. But here we have this man who's been demon-possessed, and Jesus cast those demons out of that man into several thousands pigs. And then what happens to those pigs? You know the story. They run down the side of the bank into the water, and they, ooh, they drown themselves. Can you believe that? I mean, all that investment is gone. And so the herders of the pigs, they go into the town, and they go and report what happened. Let's look at verse 14. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus, and they saw the demon-possessed man. Who? They know this guy. They know his family, they know his trade, they know where he lives, 
They know this man. And so they see the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion, sitting there, clothed, and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Now, I had a good brother here this morning that pointed out something very interesting to me. I think it's also very interesting. Who are they afraid of? Are they afraid of the man with many demons? Uh-uh. Because the man with many demons, they, they knew this man. They did everything they could to subdue this man, to help this man, because this man is dangerous. And so they put him out of the tombs. They know about him, but now here they come up, and here is Jesus talking to the one whom they could not help. Who are they afraid of? They're afraid of Jesus who has the authority and the power to subdue the one, to help the one whom they could not help. And so what does they say? What do they do? After they see this fantastic thing, this miracle, what do they do? They ask Jesus to, uh, what? <laughs> Preach? Duh. Hang on. Teach? Give a sermon? What is they asking him to do? To leave. That's not the most logical next step, in my opinion, for them to do. But that's exactly what they do. They ask Jesus to leave, and you know this story. But I want to point out something real quickly down in verse 18 and 19. As Jesus is getting in the boat to leave, the man who was possessed by many demons, he comes to Jesus and he says, I want to go with you. I want to see the miracles. I want to hear the teaching. I want to be a part of your ministry. I mean, who would want to be a part of that, right? I mean, if you been the recipient of a miracle, if you had been at the feeding of the 5,000, if you had seen the, the raising of the dead, if you had seen the walking of the water, why wouldn't you want to see more of that? And this man who was possessed by many demons, he wanted to learn more about Jesus. He wanted to go with Jesus to be a part of that ministry. And Jesus said, no. Now, sometimes when we talk about evangelism, especially in our personal life, we get all anxious inside. It's kind of like we're asking someone for money, right? When we go and we want to ask somebody for money, we get all anxious inside, get all these butterflies, and we don't know what to do, don't know what to do, don't know what to say, or we, we get all tongue-tangled and tongue-tied. You see, Jesus here, when we talk about evangelism, Jesus gives us a principle that we can all use. Now, how many of you, I want you to actually raise your hand, how many of you have been baptized into Jesus Christ, right? Raise your hand if you've been baptized. Now, hold your arm up loud and proud, son, loud and proud. Now, listen, if you've got your, what are you doing? Hold your arm up loud and proud. If you've got your arm up, listen, if you've got your arm up, you're already qualified to lead someone else to Jesus. You're already qualified to lead someone else to Jesus because what you were taught and how you were taught is the same message that you can share with someone else. In fact, in verse 18, Jesus says, excuse me, verse 19, Jesus says to this demon-possessed man, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. You might think, oh, I can't do evangelism. I can't go out and tell others about Jesus. You know what? You are overthinking it. 
All you have to do in personal evangelism is go to your neighbor across the street, go to your spouse, go to your family, go to your coworkers, and just tell them what the Lord has done for you. That's all. You don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to have all the slick moves. You don't have to have all the special cliches and things that, that, that the Spencer may have. All you have to do is tell them what the Lord has done for you. Now, let me ask you a question about this demon-possessed man. Who could help this man? Was it the people of the village? Could they, could they help him? Because, you know, this man was a danger to himself and to others. Could this man... You know, what could they do with him? They tried to bind him, because why? No one else could help him, but who could help him? Oh, come on now, y'all wake up. This ain't the early service, right? Who could help them? No one could help him, but... All right, here we go, here we go. We got it going now. And so we got the demon-possessed man. You know the story. Nobody could help this man except... Hey, you're coming along. Let's come on to our second story now. Let's come to our second story. We have Mark chapter 5 and verse 21. I want you to notice he says, and when Jesus had crossed again to the other side of the sea. Now, wait a second here. Let's get back to verse 1, okay? They, is Jesus and the disciples, came to the other side of the sea, okay? So Jesus comes over the sea and deals with the demon-possessed man. Verse 21, the Bible says, when they crossed again to the other side, which tells us what? That Jesus went out of his way. He crossed the ocean, crossed over the sea in that boat for the benefit of one soul. How many of us are willing to go cross the street for the benefit of one soul. How many of us are willing to go to the person working next to us at the factory to deal with one soul? You know, I go all over the world and I work in multiple African countries. I go and preach and teach. And you know what, that's, that's a lot of good work that's going on with the Bear Valley system. And God bless us. But that is not the be all and end all of evangelism. Because evangelism happens in Bear Valley, it happens at Valley View as well in Jonesboro, Arkansas. When you simply tell others what the Lord has done for you, open your mouth and let it speak. Jesus went across the sea for the benefit of one person. Let's look at uh, verse 21. A great crowd gathers about him and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus, by name, and seeing him, he fell down at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And Jesus went with Jairus. You see, who is Jairus? Well, you got to allow the Bible to define itself. Let the Bible help you understand it. So let's look and see who he is. The Bible tells us that Jairus is a ruler of the synagogue. Now, a ruler of the synagogue is not just your average, everyday Joe kind of person. A ruler of the synagogue is someone who has position in the community. He's a man of position. People look up to him for leadership, for guidance. People look to him in the community. He is a man of position. Jairus is also a man of influence. So Jairus, this man of position, when he speaks, people listen to what he has to say. 
So Jairus is a man of position. He's a man of influence. People listen to him. Now, to be a ruler of the synagogue, a man of position, <clears throat> influence, <clears throat> also a man of money, right? Because becoming a ruler of the synagogue is one with a financial obligation. And so Jairus is a man of position, he's a man of influence, and he's a man of money. What else does the Bible say about him? The Bible also says that he is a father with a sick child who comes to Jesus for help. Now, I can imagine that Jairus using his position, using his influence, using all the money that he had, all, everything that he had in his position in that community, I am sure that he already did everything that he possibly could to find someone to help his daughter, wouldn't you? Would you go out and do everything that you possibly could for a child of yours that was sick? I'm sure you would. I wanna tell you a story about my third child when she was about uh, four months, six months old, she was, uh, I was working in a factory in Paragol, Arkansas. I got off at 7 p.m. I got home, we had supper, and I was on the phone, standing in the kitchen, and my third daughter, Micah, okay, she was, uh, you know, six months, four months, six months old, whatever it was, and she was in one of those, you know, those bouncy seats, reclining bouncy seat things, and it was on top of the kitchen table. Now, before you know, before you ooh and ah, Okay, here we go. All right, anyway, she was on top of the kitchen table, and I was standing there, and she was excited because Daddy was home, and so her little legs were kicking, and she was excited, and I was on the phone. Her little legs were kicking, and she was excited, and then before I was paying attention, her little self kicked herself, bounced herself right off the kitchen table, and fell on the concrete floor. Of course, I lost it, you know, I, wow, you know, what's going on? And, but my wife, God love her, she is a registered nurse. She picks up my daughter. We get in the car. We go to Arkansas Methodist, to the ER there. And I'm thinking, man, she's keeping it together. She's doing great. And them doors of the ER open, and she walks in with that child, and she says, someone please help my baby. Oh, wow. And so all the people, they just came running around her to see what had happened. Oh. You see, I wanted to do whatever it was that I needed to do to help my child who had fallen off that table, right? What would you do to help your child? You think about Jairus, all his position and his influence and his money. What did he do to help find help for his child? I tell you truly, I'm sure he tried to find all the help that he could, but no one could help his child except who? Here we go. So that's why Jairus comes to Jesus to ask for help because no one could help him and his daughter. And so Jesus agrees to go with Jairus to his house to heal the sick child. And so they're on the way. Spencer, come on up here, Spencer. Spencer, come forth here, Spencer. Come on up here, Spencer. This is my best good buddy here, friend here, all of you, right? Uh, he leads, uh, you're leading camp this week, right? this year, right? Yes. I'm doing day camp. Hey, doing day camp. If you want to do day camp at CRYC, I'm doing day camp. He's doing something else. I don't know. Anyway, uh, Jesus is on his way to the house of Jairus, and all these people are around. And they're crowding around Jesus because they know who he is and what he's doing. I like that tie. Anyway, as they're coming around to see Jesus because they know something fantastic is going to happen, right? And they're close to him, and they're pushing Jesus. 
50, there's a woman in that crowd. What you doing, son? There's a woman in that crowd who comes up behind the group. She comes up really low to Jesus. And you know this story. You know this story. She comes up really low and she touches Jesus right here at the bottom of the garment. Why? Because she had been sick for 12 years. Wow, ladies. She had been sick for 12 years. This woman had used all the money that she had. Did she get better? Nope. Nope, she got what? Worse. Oh, you got to wake up there, son. She didn't get better. She got worse. She spent all the money she had. She didn't have anything else that she could do. So where else could she go and what else could she do but come to Jesus? But wait a minute, son. Was she supposed to be there? Because according to the law of Moses, a woman in her condition is not supposed to be in a public gathering. In fact, she is considered unclean. She's not supposed to be there. So for 12 years, this woman has dealt with this issue. 12 years, she has had the pain and the struggle, the fatigue. But not only that, for 12 years, Furby, 12 years, she's been alone, stuck at home, unclean, away from family and friends because she's not allowed to be around other people. She's unclean. Took all the money that she had. No one could help her except who? Jesus. There you go, Spencer. You're learning real good. And so this woman comes up behind, behind Jesus and the entire crowd. He comes, she comes up behind Jesus and just touches him on the hem of the garment. And what happens? Immediately that woman is made well. Thank you, Spencer. Immediately that woman is made well. And so Jesus stops and says what? Who touched me? <laughs> the disciples are saying, you know what? Look at all the people around you, Jesus. Look at all the people touching and pushing on you. Why do you say, who touched me? Jesus asked a second, a second time, who touched me? Do you think Jesus didn't know who touched him? Surely. Jesus knew exactly who touched him. Jesus knew exactly who that woman was. And Jesus knew that he was the only one that could help her. You see, no one could help her except, there we go, keeping you awake this morning. And so as we think about the woman with this problem for 12 years, she came to Jesus because Jesus was the only one that could help her. After this, you know the rest of the story. Jesus goes on to the house of Jairus. But by that time, the daughter of Jairus had died. But Jesus said to Jairus, do not fear, only believe. You know the story. How Jesus raised that daughter from the dead. No one else could help her because she's a dead child. No one else could help her, but he raised her from the dead. You see... What holds all of these stories together, these three stories about these four people? What brings all of these stories together? I tell you truly, no one could help them except who? I want you to notice here real quickly, that same story of no one could help them but Jesus. It's not just for them, but it's also for us. You see, in the book of Romans chapter 3, in the verses 10, the Bible says, no one is righteous, no, not one. He says in verse 23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That means you, 
That means me. That means each and every one of us. That means that you and I are the man with many demons. It means that you and I are the man, the father with a sick child. That means you and I are the woman who's been sick for 12 years. That means you and I are the same people, just like those in the story who have been sick, who have been rejected, who have been lost, who needs the help, but no one could help them except Jesus. In the book of Romans chapter 6 in the verses 23, the Bible says, For the wages of sin is death. Now wait a minute. The wages of sin. Now I explain this in Africa this way. You know, if I ask you to come to my house for seven days and you do work at my house for seven days, you want to come and you work Monday through Friday, you're going to work five days for me, you're going to work Monday through Friday, and you're going to do that, and you're going to, you, you come do this job for me, I will pay you so much. And then they they come to work on Monday and they do the work and then they come on Tuesday and Wednesday and they, they do the work. They come on Thursday and Friday. They come do the work and then on Friday afternoon at, at ending time, what are they going to do? They're going to come to me, Brother Chad, and say, uh-huh, right? Because they had an agreement with me that, I, that they do the work Monday through Friday and then they get paid the wages that are due to them. They're going to get what they deserve. In other words, when you look at the wages of sin, that is getting what you deserve for what? Sin. Now, what in the world is sin? I don't know if Spencer has told you about this, but one of the ways to understand sin is disobedience. When we disobey God, when we know God's word tells us something and we do something else, that is disobedience. Or when we know God's word teaches us to do something and we don't fully do everything that God has commanded, that is disobedience. And so we're gonna get what we deserve for our disobedience and that result is death. Now, not physical death, now we understand that. It is an eternal death, an eternal separation from God. You see, like them, those of the demon-possessed man, like the father with a sick child, like the woman who was sick for 12 years. No one could help them but Jesus. But the Bible says in Romans 6 and verse 23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, this need, this need of the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ are for all mankind. It's for everybody. In Jonesboro, Arkansas, Northeast Arkansas, it's for people in the United States, it's for people in Michigan to go up and preach the word up there, it's for people all over the world, in Nigeria, Kenya, Myanmar, all over the world. It's not just for you, the opportunity for salvation, the help that Jesus brings is for all people. And we have the task to take that to them. Like them, no one can help us except Jesus. In Romans chapter 5 and the verses 8, the Bible says, But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In the book of 1 John chapter 4 and verse 9, the Bible says, In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation 
or the atoning sacrifice for our sins. This morning, I want you to understand that that atoning sacrifice is for people in Nigeria, the 200 million people that are there. That atoning sacrifice is for the people in Abuja, the six million people living in that city that you are funding. Now, I want to tell you that the atoning sacrifice is for the people in Enugu, a city of three million people that need to hear about the gospel of Jesus Christ. They need to hear it. And because of days like this, because of you, you are empowering these people to take the gospel to their own people. Because of what you are doing, you are helping the gospel being spread all throughout the world. Because of you, people are understanding that they can find help in time of need in Jesus Christ. This morning, if you are here and you realize that you are just like the demon-possessed man, that you are just like the father with a sick child, that you are just like the woman who was sick for 12 years, people who needed the help that only Jesus could provide. Are you here this morning that you realize because of your disobedience, because of your sin, that you are in need of help that only Jesus can provide? This morning, that opportunity is extended to you. I want to encourage you to come forward. I want to encourage you to put Christ on in baptism. I want to encourage you, if you've already been baptized, to rededicate your life to God. This is the day, this is the opportunity, and the help that Jesus provides is now extended to you. Please come forward as we stand and sing.